Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I hope you are still enjoying being out and about, if that's what you're doing. I was in Grogan's recently for the first time in a while and uh, it was just wonderful to be out and with people and making random small talk and making new friends. But I know it's not for everyone and that some people are finding that re-entry very difficult. And we really understand that here on the podcast after the year and a half that we've all had, that it might be that bit harder to re-enter the world after nearly 16 months of working remotely, socialising over Zoom and not seeing the inside of anyone else's house. The thought of going back out there can be exhilarating, but for some, it's more than a little bit terrifying. As the world slowly begins to reawaken, the fear of missing out or FOMO has been replaced. Jennifer O'Connell wrote a couple of weeks ago in the Irish Times has been replaced by fear of joining in FOGI. And we thought it was a good time to talk about all of this. So joining us today for our How to Re-Enter the World podcast is Dr. Laura Kennedy, beauty writer and philosopher, joining us from London. Jennifer O'Connell, Irish Times feature writer and Helen Vaughan, psychotherapist and owner of Maynooth Counselling. The three women discussed how this time has impacted us and provided some advice about handling the logistics and etiquette of getting back out there again. The New York Times recently likened the collective psychological shift demanded by reopening to people re-entering the civilian world after prison, wartime deployment, humanitarian aid work of remote expeditions. And it also feels a bit like the way... I don't know if any of you listening uh, at that time when you go back to work or back in the world after being off for maternity leave. So it's a bit like all of those things. But the main thing is that if you're feeling anxious about it or worried about having the confidence to engage again, all of that is completely normal. And so is worrying about sort of COVID related safety things. So it's all very normal. I mean, if you're going out there again and feeling like oh, it's all fine. That's kind of a bit weird. Obviously, it's been a very um, strange time and we're going to take a while to readjust. And that's what we wanted to talk about. And we really hope that this conversation helps. Jennifer, you have written the article about this. You wrote a feature called Got the Fear? How to Re-Enter the World. Um, Very helpfully. So tell us about the sense you got when speaking to people about how they're feeling about getting back out there in the world and socialising. Well, I think, Roisin, that we all thought when we got to this point, we would be like, yeah, open the front door, run out and find yourself the nearest outdoor pub table and surround yourself with people. Um, And I think for a lot of people, it hasn't turned out like that. Now, my article was published a couple of weeks ago. And since then, the Irish Times MRBI poll came out asking people about their views on the pace of reopening. And it found that 50% want full reopening as quickly as possible, while 46% want it at a much slower pace. So like that's clearly a, a kind of a significant divide, one extreme and the other. Um, and 30% of people in that poll were anxious about socialising. So it's a quite a big cohort out there that are not feeling great. And that actually makes me feel better because 
I'm in this really unusual position for me as somebody who I think I'm quite far down the extreme end of the extrovert scale generally. Um, but I feel kind of rusty, you know, I, I think like for so much of the past year and a half, I had this just horrible feeling of I'm missing out on life. My life is, you know, even though I knew nobody else was doing anything, but I felt like, you know, I was losing my 40s to sort of sitting at home, homeschooling my kids and which, yes, a wonderful experience. And I love them to bits, <laughs> but not how what I planned for my 45th year. Um, but now that I can actually go out in the world again, I'm not rushing out the front door to do it. And I think, you know, if I was to describe my own sense at the moment, it's kind of like there's a, there's a bit of FOMO in there. Like I, I feel maybe everybody else is embracing reopening much more enthusiastically than I am and having a great time. Um, but I have a little bit of what I called in that article, FOGI, uh, which is fear of joining in. And it's not for me um, about the health anxieties at all. I've, I've been fairly low level anxious throughout the year, um, but I'm now doubly vaccinated. So it's not that. It's more... I think just I'm I'm kind of rusty and I've got used to being on my own and I'm not sure that I can make conversation anymore. So in that article I did a few weeks ago, um, I was kind of looking at that and whether there are any sort of techniques to help us get back out there in the world. Um, and the people that I spoke to had all particular worries and anxieties and probably, you know, much more significant than my own, which is just like, do I know how to make conversation anymore? Uh, are my friends all having a great time at parties and just not inviting me? Like, what's going on? What am I missing out on? Um, so one of the women I spoke to is a woman called Jo, who is 33, um, and she has a toddler. And so she's been at home kind of like looking after this toddler for the last year and a half, which is fairly full on. Um, but she suffers from an immune disorder. Uh, and she's, she had just had one meal out in the last year and a half with her friends. And she felt so guilty and anxious afterwards that she said she didn't think she'd do it again. And she's actually dreading this phase because she felt that um, other people might abandon safe behaviors and make the world less safe for her. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then there was a guy, Rob, who I know in real life, um, and that's not his real name, but his story really struck me. He He's somebody um, who would suffer a lot from health anxiety, and he describes himself as an anxious extrovert. So he's been he's in his mid-30s. He's been in a really, really horrible position for the last year where he's really frightened of, of COVID and, and really suffering from, you know, this anxiety that he's lived with all his life about, about health issues Um and sort of obsessive compulsive traits has become real, you know, and that's not a relief to somebody who has severe anxiety. You know, it, it, a lot of people turned around to him and said, oh, you must feel better now. Everybody else is just as anxious as you. But that's not the case. But he's really forcing himself to get out there because he knows that he really needs human company. Um, and he's weighing everything up as a as a balance of risks. He, he said to me, um, the risk of persisting anxiety around this is greater than the risk of resuming life as normal. So He's booked flights to go away. He's, you know, forcing himself to see friends regularly and it's really doing him a lot of good. So, um, yeah, so I think there's a whole spectrum of, of concerns and worries that people have about getting back out there. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's a really good overview. And we'll come back um, to maybe talk about some of the, the strategies people might be able to employ, which you also put in your article. I'll come to you, Laura, in London. Um, what is life like in London at the moment? Because this Freedom Day has been pushed back a bit due to the Delta variant. But does it feel like in London things are going back to some kind of normal now? London is a very interesting place in a number of respects. One of them is um, obviously, I think we're a little bit ahead of home on the vaccination schedule. So we have more vaccinated people. And there is definitely a sense, most of the people I know, at least in my age category now and older, have been vaccinated. Um, and they do feel a kind of a personal sense of liberation around being able to do more stuff. And then there's kind of that combined with the still quite stringent 
government messaging about distancing and then you get on a commuter train and they're full the way they were a year and a half ago and there's a guy coughing into your eye um you know and you're told don't sit next to people don't stand next to people or I know a lot of people say uh, who are getting married soon who are incredibly frustrated that you know they get on a commuter train and that happens but they can't have people dance at their wedding so we're in this strange sort of limbo time now where we still have a lot of the theatre of you know imminent danger no one's vaccinated combined with not really imminent danger for most people because they have been vaccinated. People are kind of balancing that messaging we're being given versus how we feel as individuals and what we want to do. And it's a weird place to be. And Laura, I hope you won't mind me saying that you describe yourself as a socially awkward person anyway, even before this pandemic. How dare you? Um, But has the lockdown, just on what Jen was saying, has the lockdown and lack of contact made it worse for you? Or how has it impacted your, your, your social awkwardness? Well, I think, um, yeah, I can relate a lot to what Jennifer was saying, which is funny because obviously she describes herself as quite extroverted, but I too have become rusty, but my skills were a bit crap before. So, you know, I'm the kind of person in a group situation who wants to talk to one person because I find that like meaningful engagement gets uh, watered down relative to the number of people in a group. And I want to go up to someone and go, are you afraid of death? But, you know, it's a children's birthday party and you're supposed to talk about the weather. So... Um, I've, I'm kind of trying to refine that, uh, that sort of small talk place where I don't feel like I want to just bash my head into the wall because I'm bored by what I'm saying, uh, and find a way again to sort of re-engage with people in a way that acknowledges their humanity and doesn't make them feel like a weird social obstacle that I need to overcome. Laura, have you attended many social, um, events yet? And have you found, what have you found doing so? Um, well, the first the first post lockdown uh, social event with a group was probably in retrospect a bad idea because it was very trippy. It was it was indeed a four year old's birthday party, and I got there, and the four year old in question was wearing a unicorn t shirt and a pair of underpants and nothing else, and didn't put any trousers on for the whole day. And she was the only person in the room who I really envied, to be honest. Um, like it was so strange to be around people. It felt so familiar. Because, you know, it should feel familiar to be in a room with six or seven people, but it also felt so odd. So I kind of found myself drifting around, trying to find ways to um, talk to people. But it it feels a bit like, I suppose, um, a, a collective social trauma. Or, you know, when you don't see a friend for a couple of years who you love and so much stuff has happened in both your lives that you actually can't think of what to say to each other. You know, like eight people died, I emigrated... I invented a new kind of cake, but you forget all of that because you haven't seen them in ages and you have to try and find a a way to reconnect again. So I was trying to do that at a children's birthday party and it was a bit, uh, it was a bit heavy. (laughs) Well, I have to recommend to people um, the outside bit of Grogan's is a very good way to re-enter. I did that last night and I've ended up with uh, four new friends and I'm in yet another WhatsApp group. I don't know how that happened, but I don't (laughs) seem to be having too much trouble finding a way to reconnect. But um, Helen, I want to come to you now. We're hearing a lot and we've heard from uh, Jen and Laura about social anxiety and trying to resume normality. So can you tell us a little bit about the science of anxiety and how that works and why it exists, especially at this time? Yeah, I think anxiety is such a confusing thing for most people because they feel, say, your heart racing or you're sweaty or you're kind of 
dizzy or your stomach goes funny or you've got all these physical symptoms and you think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Am I sick? Am I having a heart attack or whatever it is? You know, and what your body is doing in that is it's preparing you to fight, flight or freeze. You know, so it's preparing you to flee, even though the danger that you're perceiving might be that you've walked into a room and there's four or five people in the room, which isn't like a tiger that's about to attack you. So you don't really need to flee. So it's a really funny thing that your body is wired up to run away, but the danger might not leave. So you're kind of like the the way it started was back in the day, a tiger would come along and your body would be fired up to give you your stress response and get you out of there. Whereas now, through this pandemic, a lot of people have been anxious, either low level or high level every day for a year and a half. So it's exhausting for your body to constantly be firing the stress response, ready to flee or fight or hide or whatever. And so your body's really tired. And I think that's a huge factor in terms of now trying to get back out there, that people are really tired and exhausted after the whole thing. There's a bit of collective trauma in terms of what's happened because there was a real threat and we were afraid of it. So it was right to be anxious in lots of ways, but it didn't go away. So it's an ongoing thing that your body is just worn out. And then you think, God, I'd love to go into a really busy pub and have a great time. Whereas when you're faced with that, it's quite frightening or maybe you're not ready or you feel like you should be ready because it's a relief after all this time. So I just think there's a lot of confusing emotions, physical stuff going on, anxiety in there for a lot of people who may have never felt it before or some people who've had a lot of it before. And social anxiety might be thrown into the mix where you've lost lots of your social skills. So the girls are describing feeling rusty because they're not used to sitting and talking nonsense at a four-year-old's birthday party. And there's very little small talk to talk about because we haven't been doing anything. So all we can talk about is COVID. And then you find yourself talking about that in a situation going, I'm out. I should be talking about something else other than bloody restrictions or case numbers or, you know, whatever that is. So there's a lot going on. And I think people need to just give themselves a break and take it slowly is my kind of key message. Just don't rush yourself if you're not ready. And don't feel pressure, FOMO, because... You know, maybe people are having fun, but don't mind it. If you're not ready, just take it slowly. I think Jennifer talked about it earlier, and I think this is an interesting time for the differences between people and how they handled COVID um, as a thing are coming to the to, to the surface a bit more because they're because now it's like people are worried about oh those people seem to be going out too much or you know can I hang around with them they don't seem to be um, taking the restrictions seriously enough. I've noticed a bit of kind of conflict between friends and things where people are getting irritated with other people and it's causing kind of tension between them. Have you seen that or noticed it or what do you think about that? People kind of not being quite um, sure about how other people are behaving. Yeah, I feel like that's been an issue the whole way through, hasn't it? Because if you think of even the first lockdown or the second, I can't even remember how many we've had. And you might have some friends who are very strict, who did very little. And you have some friends who are like, I'm pretty sure they're in someone else's house and they're indoors. And I can see someone else's legs there. You know, and we all got to see the different people treated this differently. And maybe you decided to hang around with the people that were at the same level as you, whether that was at the tighter or stricter end or at the looser end, depending where you sat. And I feel like it's been a bit of an eye opener in terms of maybe how we're judging other people and being like, oh, that person's way looser than me, so I might not meet up with them because I'm still being careful. My parents are elderly or they're high risk or whatever that is. You know, I think it's kind of trying to find your own way and trying not to be worried at what other people are doing. And if you need to hang out with one group of friends and not another or one particular friend and not another because you're worried at any point. And I do think it is a cause of anxiety that people think other people aren't now taking it seriously anymore because they think, oh, the vaccine, it's grand. 
And personally, I'm finding that messaging hard to know where to be. I'm fully vaccinated, but Delta is still on the horizon. So should I be very cautious, semi-cautious, not cautious at all? You know, and I, there's been so many messages and different all the time every month or two that I'm a bit confused. I'm assuming most are. Jennifer, have you noticed that tension between friends? I think it's happening a bit more now because we're out, you know. I think so. Um, And I noticed that really when I was researching that article that I think there are a lot of friendships out there that won't recover from this experience. And one of the women put it very well to me. She said, you know, I saw people kind of flouting the rules, you know, and I'm vulnerable. And they felt that maybe people like me should be locked up so that they could carry on with their lives. And she found that incredibly hurtful. And she said to me, I I think that there are people that I won't be able to have in my life anymore because of the way they, they responded to lockdown and to the restrictions. And the idea that they somehow felt their life was worth something more than her life. You know, in other words, she could lock herself away so that they could carry on as before. So I think definitely it's a it's a really challenging one. And I think that's one of the sources of anxiety, actually, for us as we go back into the world. Um, you know, there, there's kind of like when, for the article, um, I interviewed Ian Robertson and he, he and I just talked about it as kind of there's three different factors. And, and one of them is about the etiquette and the logistics of how you re-enter the world and how to make sure like I would feel dreadful if I thought that I was making somebody uncomfortable um, and I had that situation recently. I had my seven, my daughter turned seven just a couple of weeks ago um, and it was a nice day. So we had a couple of her friends. There's only 11 children in her class at school. So I was kind of like, we'll, we'll invite maybe just five of them um, and we'll do it outside. But I, I agonized over the text message that I was going to send to the parents. Like, will they feel that I'm taking risks here? We're not really strictly supposed to be in a garden. We're supposed to do this in the park. But I feel like with you know, seven-year-olds, it's probably safer to do it in a contained space. And I just thought, overthought it for weeks before I could get it together to do anything. So I think that that's, you know, that's a major source of anxiety for people. Will other people perceive me as pushing too hard or doing too much? Or am I worried about how other people are behaving? And then the other things are about, you know, the health implications that we've talked about, and then just that social anxiety. So I think we're going through a lot and we should give ourselves a bit of a break and accept that, you know, it's, it's, it's fine if other people are going to grow because they're having pints outside and you're sitting at home watching Netflix. Again, yet another documentary about Sophie Toscan <laughs> de Plantier while your pals are having a great time. I think it's okay. We can all take things at our own pace and we'll all get there. Yeah, Laura, what do you think? Because um, you being our resident philosopher, so have you any had any philosophical thoughts? And I'm sure you've had hundreds and hundreds of them, and I know you do. And also, I should mention, Laura has a Patreon if anyone would like to support it and writes incredible essays there. What is your philosophical approach to this time, do you think, people re-entering? Is there any, any wisdom we can uh, get from some of these great thinkers? Well, I mean, I guess every single uh, human emotion and impulse has been experienced over the last year and a half. So it's hard to it's hard to even narrow it down to any particular school. I mean, like I had a really interesting chat with um, Una Malali and Andrea Horan on their podcast about existentialism because they asked me to come on to talk about the fact that uh, we all seem to be in existential crisis. And like this philosophy from essentially the 1940s is now... Uh, incredibly relevant again as we all try and figure out how to carve out um, I suppose an individual life in a collectivized environment where we really feel that we don't have a lot of uh, say in what we're doing um, anymore. So I don't know I think for me one of the major sort of themes of the last year has been control, losing it, trying to find out how to re-establish it in a healthy way Um, keeping an eye on any impulse I have to try and exert it over other people because I think there is there can be that impulse to um, you know say something like for example 
it should be obligatory that everybody gets vaccinated because it would make me more comfortable if that was the case. And I think that's a very complex argument that shouldn't be made based on me being really annoyed that I'm in my house um, and I can't go out to Grogan's or wherever. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's it's reminded us all that uh, when it boils down to it, what we actually have is ourselves and the people directly around us and really very little more than that. So th- I, it's been kind of a gift in a sense because... I mean, I don't know about you, but I know so many people who have completely reevaluated their lives this year. Like I'm going back to college. I'm having that kid that I was afraid I, you know, couldn't afford. I'm doing all these things. I'm moving house. Um, it's been it's been a good year for people kind of reestablishing control where they have it. Um, and I guess to an extent, letting go of where they don't. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Helen, have you any thoughts on what Laura said there about this very turbulent and kind of a time? It's it's really interesting to hear all those stories of people moving. I know Jennifer knows people who've moved country, who've emigrated. We should have known already life is short and unexpected and we don't have any control. But somehow the pandemic has really made us very aware of it in a, in a deeper way. Yeah, I think losing it has made us think, and a really useful question that I use a lot and I share with clients a lot, is what can I control about whatever situation you might be worried about and what can I not? And trying to figure out of letting go the things you can control and control what you can. And that could obviously be at a life level, at a children level, at a where you're going to live level. Um, So I find what can I control is a really useful question and trying to let go of some things you might be anxious about that you can't control, like a friend going out and doing things that you think you're not ready to do. Let them at it. Don't go with them if you don't want to, you know, and you control what you can. Watch Netflix for another night if you want. And also the thing with Grogan's, I went out last week as well for the first time and sat outside a restaurant and it was glorious and I was a bit nervous about doing it, but it was outdoors. I was like, do you know what? You find your own comfort level and go with it. And the thing is, then you have a couple of drinks and things loosen up anyway. But, you know, just figure out what you are comfortable with. The other thing that I picked up along the way that another psychologist said was survive, don't thrive, that we're still kind of in survival mode at the moment. So don't expect yourself to be out dancing on a table in a nightclub, even though they're not open. And they probably they might not open at this point. But, you know, just think about survival and get through this um, there was that great article in the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago about or a couple of months ago about languishing that I think we're all still very tired and it's been a really tough time. So don't be afraid to talk about your feelings, share if you're feeling awkward or nervous or whatever that is about social situations with friends. And you might find that others are feeling the same as you and that actually sharing your feelings and experience is really helpful and cathartic, hopefully, or obviously talk to a professional or a friend or a family member or whoever that is. But Lower your expectations maybe of how you think you should be and just figure out where you're at and go with that. Stay there. If you don't want to go out, don't. You know, if you want to meet one friend in a park, do it. Although a walk, I really feel we'll never walk again after this last year and a half. But, you know, just find your own comfort level and don't be afraid to say no to things if you're not comfortable with it. Jennifer, in the article you wrote, you, you, you spoke to people like Ian Robertson. Did you get any tips, you know, for people in this re-entry time of how to, to navigate it. Yeah, he actually, Ian had some great tips because he has a book out now about confidence. So it's kind of really good timing um, to talk to him about it, how confidence works, it's called. Um, but one of the things he said, I was kind of expecting him to say, you know, very much what Helen said, take it at your own pace, don't push yourself and everything. But he took a slightly different perspective on that. And he said, actually, fake it till you make it is probably a better approach. So do things that you don't feel quite ready to do. Um, because, you know, if you want to, if your ultimate goal, look, if your ultimate goal is, I don't want the kind of life I had before, I was too busy, I was too hectic, I was always on the go, 
that's absolutely fine and this is a great time to reevaluate but if you're somebody who's more like me who kind of misses my own life and I I miss it I miss a little bit of the busyness and I miss seeing a lot of different people um his advice was you know just push yourself a little bit more than you feel ready to do and say yes to invitations and try and muster that feeling do you remember we all had it in the beginning of the lockdown where we were like I will never say no to a pint again um try and try and find that in myself and, and go out a little bit more so that was one thing that I thought was kind of helpful and then the other things were really just more about controlling anxiety in a general sense. And some of them actually I've started doing since I spoke to him for the article. Um, practice mindfulness. I've never been great. I don't really have the patience to stick with mindfulness. Um, but I have sort of downloaded some of the apps and tried it. And I've definitely noticed it's, it's a calming influence on me. Um, but the one that has been, I wouldn't go so far as to say life changing, but has been like really significant improvement in my life when I'm feeling quite under stress is just taking deep breaths. So just breathe in for the count of four and breathe out for the count of six. Um, and when he said this to me, Roshan, I have to admit that I felt a bit shortchanged. I was like, this is what I'm going to get from you. Like, breathe, seriously. But he explained the science behind it. And when he did that, I was like, OK, maybe I will give it a try. And, you know, to, to put it in really simple layman's terms, there's a part of your brain called the locus corellius that is the only source in your brain of noradrenaline, which is your fight or flight response. And the thing about the locus corellius is that it is extremely sensitive to carbon millisecond to millisecond. So just by breathing, you can actually control how much adrenaline is in your body. So if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, breathe in for four, breathe out for six. And if you get in the habit of doing that a few times a day when you're not under pressure, you will remember to do it when you're under pressure. And you can do it. I did it before I came on this call because I was running around trying to finish a few things. And I was like, right, I just need to center myself. I promise you it works. So uh, Ian would be really proud of me because I was so skeptical when he mentioned that to me. I was like, seriously, is this what I'm getting out of this book? But it actually really does work. And then the other things are just, you know, embrace the uncertainty and and don't be too hard on yourself and recognize that we're all going through this. I mean, 30 percent of people describe themselves as anxious about reopening. But within the 70 percent who are not overtly anxious, there are undercurrents of all of what we're talking about. Laura, have you any thoughts on that things for the reentry and things you might advise people just from, again, from maybe a philosophical perspective. I think there's a lot about letting people be where they're at. I mean, I have no, I think there's been a lot of judgment around this time and I don't like to see it. And I think the judgment is continuing now. It's like whether people are going out too much or whether they, you know, aren't going out at all and everyone kind of comparing ourselves to other people and thinking, should I be doing that? I I, I feel personally to let go of that and just, let people be because it is such a huge and traumatic time that we've gone through that some people have uh, will need a lot of time to to readjust. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think when it comes to thinking about about this whole situation, I feel like um, we all probably would benefit from being a bit more humble about what we know. Like this has been the weirdest year for knowledge in the history of our lifetime anyway. Um, you know, the the level of sort of being told X and then being told Y and being told both are true or both are simultaneously true when evidently they can't be at the same time. Um, And like, obviously the fact that people cope with this situation in different ways. So it's, I think sometimes it's quite easy to look at someone else and think, oh, they're not going out. So they're a coward or, oh, they're only going out. So they're, you know, selfish. But um, I think people are just trying to find a way to uh, not be miserable in these circumstances and that that looks different for all of us. So I think having a sense of dealing with our own individual scenario 
and understanding at the same time that there's a lot we don't know. So it's unlikely that any one of us has figured out an entire macro system of how this should be dealt with and what are the right answers and what is the best course of action. Um, We don't know that. I think even even experts only know their corner of it. They don't know everything. So I think we all just need to, as you suggest, um, relax a bit about the the outward gazing and look in a bit more. Yeah, I mean, we haven't spoken. I know some people listening um, to the podcast will be thinking about um, their children as well um, and how kids and young people have handled this whole time. And, And also, I just personally feel not just about I mean my children but just young people in general it's been a really difficult time for them particularly and I has anybody any thoughts about you know for that cohort I hate that word cohort I've just said it oh well (laughs) uh for younger people like you know um around the anxiety stuff Helen and how people can maybe help younger people to and support them at this time yeah, like I funny, I had this debate with a friend the other day. I was saying this has been hardest on the younger people, this whole pandemic. She was saying it was harder for her parents who are grandparents because they haven't seen their grandkids. And I was like, your parents who live together with, with each other? And, you know, I work with children and teenagers and I just I really feel this is a stage of development in their life where they're missing all the things that they should be doing. They shouldn't be at home with us. They should be out with their friends. They should be doing what they want to do. And when I saw those photographs of them hanging out of the rafters of that the bandstand in Stevens Green, I know I should be uh, on the fence. But I just thought it was funny. I was like, they just need to let loose. They need a bit of free time and a bit of unstructured whatever you want time. And I, I guess that's right down to the three and four year olds who just need a bit of time to be themselves. But it's been a hard time for the socially anxious kids because they were removed from all their social situations. They lost maybe whatever skills they might have had. Um, and the one thing I would say that you're all probably doing already, because I think most of you have kids, um, but it's to accept who they are and where they're at and talk to them and share your worries and anxieties and they'll share theirs. You know, it's like talk about your feelings and, you know, just have a space for them where if they're feeling a bit nervous or a bit awkward or whatever that is, that it's OK. You know, I think there's this whole push in life. Extrovert is best and introvert is bad. And it's so wrong for all the introverts. It's no harm to be a bit quiet. The word shy was like a just this negative label that they gave to people from the eight starting school right up. And you just think there's nothing wrong with a bit of shyness. If you want to hang around with one person as opposed to 10, that's your choice. Um, you know, and I sort of think, you know, as Jen was saying before about sometimes we do need a gentle push and kids do too, but it's finding the balance between that and something that makes them super anxious. You know, it's trying to get back out there, not avoid things, but acknowledge sometimes when it's hard, but still trying to give a little gentle push and say, you know, go meet one friend or two friends or just trying to find that balance between doing things and enjoying life again, but also if you're anxious, being careful and taking it easy if you need to. Jennifer, what are your thoughts on the, on younger people at the moment and how we could maybe support them? Yeah, I think it, this has been a real bugbear of mine since day one when children were called vectors and weren't allowed into supermarkets and then they were closed down from schools and you know, kids were getting dirty looks if they were seen walking in the vicinity of another child and people were crossing the street to avoid them. I think we did as adults, we should be a little bit ashamed of ourselves, the enormous damage that we did to kids over the last year and a half. And even now we're still sort of shaming them if they're teenagers or doing what teenagers do and gathering together and having a few pints and having a bit of crack. And yeah, look, they're leaving rubbish behind, which which isn't great in, in some situations and in some areas. But by and large, I think we haven't done nearly enough of telling kids how great they've been over the last year and a half and how amazing. And, you know, I do tell my own kids that I am in awe of how well all three of them have coped. I have two teenagers and and one little one. 
And they've all coped incredibly well in their own way. And, you know, like to be denied those really key rites of passage and to be stuck at home with your parents when everything in your fibre is telling you to make the break from the the kind of little family nest and to get out into the world and and forge new connections and find new tribes. And they haven't been able to do that. So um, I think they've been really incredible. And I think, you know, as a society, as a state, the government needs to do something to acknowledge the contribution the kids made. And remember that they shut down their lives to protect other people from a disease that is not going to to affect the young people themselves in any kind of significant way. So, you know, I think we, we've, we've done far too much of shaming them and judging them and not nearly enough of, of giving them credit for the amazing sacrifice that they made. But on the upside, I think, um, and, I, you know, I don't know if you've seen it with your own kids, my kids have reverted to type really quickly once uh, once the barriers were lifted and they're able to get back out there and hang out with their friends and you know, do summer camps and get back to school and all that. So, you know, hopefully the long-term damage that's done to them will be will be minimal. But I, I think as a society, we should look at ourselves a little bit in, in that regard and just think about, you know, was some of that really necessary? And we almost owe them an apology, I think, young people, for the way yeah. we spoke no, about them. That's a really year. good point. Laura, I know you don't have kids, but observing your friends' children's or just even young people in London, what have you noticed particularly about how younger people have been affected? Um, I think it's kind of, it, it seems to be universal, really. Uh, the same sort of um, disdain, particularly for young adults, was here uh, really prominently. Um, and obviously, as Jennifer said, there was that period where younger children kind of got the brunt of it as well. Like they were um, petri dishes of disease that we have to lock up. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think now that that negativity is still sort of being perpetuated in a media context in that obviously all those young people, we have marginally more freedom here than at home in Ireland. They are all like pouring onto the streets and going, yes, we can touch each other, you know. Um, which they've desperately needed to do, like far more than the rest of us for the last year. Um, so it's been an unkind year toward young people. I think in some ways they have, um, as Jennifer said, they've really, uh, they've found an incredible um, strength in going against everything they're biologically programmed to do to keep us safe while we tell them that they're privileged and lazy and selfish. Um, so I think the sooner that they can get back out into the world and start being irresponsible the way they're meant to be, the better. Cool. And just a quick word about shyness, Laura. We had a great woman on who's written a book about being shy and how it should be seen as a gift more than a curse. Um, Like Helen was saying, um, I presume you agree about that. I mean, you would be going back to your own sort of uh, social awkwardness or whatever we call it. Um, Do you think shyness is a gift? I would like to consider it value neutral. I'd like to consider a lot of traits value neutral. Like it's just the way some people are. And if it's a detriment to you, then it obviously benefits you to work hard through it. I've had to do some of that so that I can, you know, do stuff like talk to you guys um, or <laughs> like go to four year olds birthday parties. <laughs> but of course, it has some beneficial characteristics. I think um, it makes you good at listening and, you know, listening makes you good at knowing things because if you listen, you know, what you know, and what the other person knows. And then you can plot against them if you need to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's definitely not bad unless it gets in your way, like any trait. I feel like mm. we attribute values to certain character traits that we just don't need to. People just are. Yeah, no, I think I, I suppose it's more about the fact that, um, like Helen was saying, that it can be seen as a bad thing and people mm-hmm. can be trying to, to de-shy people, to make them not shy, which is not good either. So um, but I think I think you would like that book, actually. It's just called Shy. So I must uh 
I'll send you the link to it. Um, before you go, are there any big social occasions that you're all really looking forward to? Laura, you got married during the pandemic in a very tiny, tiny wedding. But is there anything um, you've got on the horizon that you are actually saying, yes, I'm dying to go to that? Do you know what? There really isn't. And in that way, I am exactly the way I was before the pandemic. Like, there is no part of me that thinks, oh, you know, it'd be great. A big public occasion with like 87 people I've never met and cold hors d'oeuvres and drunk people. I'm like, no, I'm grand. The thing I really want to do is come home and see my brother and my new niece who was born in the pandemic and I've never met. And she's now walking around and, you know, she is so rotund and I'm so concerned that she's going to get you know, lose that baby squish before I get back there to like push on her knees and stuff. So that's my priority. <laughs> I just want to see like two or three people. Um, and when I can get there, I think I'll be, I'll feel normal again. And what about you, Jennifer? Anything big on the horizon? Well, in the very immediate term, I'm going for a pint outside with my brother tonight, which I'm hugely looking Woo-hoo! forward to. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him. Of course, but, yeah. it will not be just one pint, Jennifer. Yeah. Not, let's, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, that's about the extent of it. Like, Laura, I, I, you know, I think we're all a bit nervous of making plans beyond a couple of weeks hence. I do have some flights booked for August, which have been moved three times already. And um, yeah, I'm just I, I, I can feel them slipping away from me day by day. So I'm not thinking too far ahead, but I'm on a week's holidays next week. So I expect there might be a few more outside pints during that week as well. Excellent. And what about you, Helen? Finally, anything for you coming up? Well, because well, funny, I've kind of done both. I went out last week for the first time, which was amazing. And funny makes me want to do it more. I'm kind of like, God, would anyone come out this weekend? Uh, and I did a camping trip two weeks ago, which I loved in the west of Ireland um, near Clifton. First time out of Leinster since last summer, I think. So I have another camping trip in a week and another one booked down the line. So I'm kind of just excited to get away. Camping for me is sort of low risk in a way because it's outdoors and obviously it's freezing and it's usually it's raining but you know I'm just looking forward to a bit of travel in Ireland don't mind abroad maybe but you know a bit of travel and a bit more just meeting friends outdoors and trying to do it on a level that's comfortable and fun you know gives us the good things without any of the bad things hopefully. Yeah and I'm going heading off in a few weeks to La Hinch, County Clare and I'm looking forward to just swimming in the Atlantic Ocean that's kind of the the social activity me and the jellyfish that's 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 enough for me but thank you so much it's been really interesting talking to you all and um the best of luck with whatever social things or not you end up doing thanks so much that was Laura Kennedy, Jennifer O'Connell and Helen Vaughan there. And that's all we have time for on the podcast today. It's produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Contact us on social, on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter using at IT Women's Podcast. We're on email too and we love hearing from you. The Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. Until the next time, mind yourselves and thanks very much for listening. tired to clean your floors after playtime forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over let Yuffie x10 pro omni help powerful 8000 pa suction removes debris and mop master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease save time and keep your floors cleaner want to know more go to eufy.com that's eufy.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars